Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamakra Sandu from Toronto in Canada, still recovering from UFC 262. It was, I'll be honest, Sandu, I'm normally pretty good when it comes to dealing with these late night UFC shows. I'm an old hand at it, right? I'm used to it. Get a bit of uh, tactical sleep in, or sometimes just don't and power through. Went to bed about half 11, thought I'll I'll make a few hours, I'll get up for the main card. All is well. Set my alarm for half past two. Alarm went off at half past two. I touched touched the screen to turn the alarm off and promptly fell back asleep again. Woke up in a blind panic about 45 minutes later and uh, was an absolute, absolute mess for a good 45 minutes while I was throwing coffee uh, down my throat and desperately trying to wake up so I could cover these fights. I'm glad I got up though, because it was a pretty damn good card, and uh, I've uh, I've played catch up on the ones that I missed. But uh, a huge, a huge night, Sandu. I know, I know you were on duty for it as well. Um, all these big pay per views are your bread and butter when you're on BT Sport duty. How did this one rank? Because it, it was a it was a big show. This one, it was pretty good. Obviously, you know, we got some movement and traction now with the lightweight division. Um, you know, we got a, a new champion. And we start to really move forward. But just in general, you know, coming out of Jacksonville, going into Houston, fans are back. It's it's kind of slowly, we're starting to get used to it again, you know. And in America, we're starting to see a lot more states open up. The CDC just said that people can kind of go out and about now if you're fully vaccinated without masks. So we're slowly starting to see the world kind of open up again. And it looks like for the foreseeable future, fight night cards will stay in the apex in Las Vegas, but these pay-per-views, they're going to try and go into cities and markets and sell out arenas and get fans packed in there because they do bring a certain energy and atmosphere. And it was fun. It's a fun card. When the, when the UFC puts on these pay-per-views with title fights, with big names, it, it's always fun. And, you know, that's when the UFC is rocking and rolling at their absolute best. Yeah. And it felt like a big show having the, having the crowds back at sport is just such a game changer. I mean, I watched the FA Cup final at the weekend, having the crowd back at Wembley Stadium uh, when Yuri Tielemans scored that absolute rocket from 30 yards to beat Chelsea, to actually have live crowd reaction to big sporting moments. You cannot beat it. And uh, we had that on Saturday night. You know, we had some unfortunate action. We had some spectacular action and we had the crowning of a new undisputed UFC lightweight champion. So let's just kick off with that, Sandy. Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chanda. Congrats to you. You picked Charles Oliveira. Not so many congrats to me. I picked Michael Chandler. But uh, Michael Chandler looked like he was doing pretty well by the end of that first round. He had a little bit a little bit of a tricky spot early on. Got taken down, grabbed a guillotine, but was never really going to finish it. And then found himself on the mat with a, a one of the best submission artists in the UFC. I actually did really well to stay out of trouble, I thought. And then when the, when the fight got back to the feet, it was like, okay, this is where the momentum's going to shift. And it did. Oliveira, Oliveira then looked like he was in a bit of trouble, ended up down on the mat. Chandler, I think, it, I remember watching him when he was sort of followed him to the mat. He wasn't going for the finish sort of hell for leather. He looked like he was trying to make sure he didn't expose himself to a submission off, um, on, on, on the mat. And also, he didn't want to. He didn't want to empty the gas tank either. That's at least that's how I saw it. Um, but he, he he had a a very good end to that round, and uh, it it looked like okay, second round, pick up where you left off. You could get a stoppage here. 
Oliveira decks him with pretty much the first punch of the second round. Um, Chandler didn't take the punch well at all. Managed to bounce back, but clearly wasn't with it. Got dropped again and got finished. Good stoppage, fair stoppage. New lightweight champion, Charles Oliveira. What did you make of the of the fight? It was a weird topsy-turvy fight. It looked like Oliveira had the, uh, had the early advantage. Then when Chandler got the fight back up to the feet, it looked like it was his fight to win. And he didn't look too far away from doing so. Got to the end of the round. Oliveira comes out and uh, lights up Chandler with his strikes. And uh, that's a, a new UFC record as well. 17 finishes in the UFC. He's now stands alone at the top of the list. And he's got a gold belt to go along with it. So, uh, yeah, big, big performance from, from Dubronx, Charles Oliveira. Yeah, action-packed is what I'd say, Simon. That was an action-packed main event, an action-packed fight. People got their money's worth. I think most people were split. You know, I was looking at some of the polls that I'd carried out during the week, and it was essentially 50-50. People were really kind of, you know, torn in terms of how they thought this fight would play out. And the fight played out just like that. It did, It was a literally back-and-forth affair for as long as it lasted. And, man, the scenes of Charles Oliveira winning the fight, you know, jumping over the cage, having a moment with the commentary team and Joe Rogan, running over to Dana White, you know, then running into the crowd, very reminiscent of Jose Aldo when he did that in Brazil. And what's remarkable is on his 28th fight, 28 fights in the UFC, and his first opportunity at UFC gold, he wins it. It's the longest road to UFC championship in promotional history. And it just tells you, A, how long he's been in the UFC, how long he's been fighting a top competition, and how MMA fans and UFC fans look at records like a Charles Oliveira record, completely different to how maybe a boxing fan would look at a boxer's record, you know? And you could still look at Charles Oliveira and say he's in his prime, he's at his absolute best, he's taken his L's, he's improved, he's learned, he's on this incredible win streak, he looks so much healthier at 155 than he did at 145, even though he still wants to go to 145. Um, Mad madness. And uh, he's yet another Brazilian to go to the top of the mountain in the UFC. And he's kind of carrying on that, that tradition of, of Brazilian fighters is absolutely dominating in the top promotion in the world. And we've, like, like I said, at the top of the show, Simon, we now have some um you know stability in the ufc lightweight division there was so much willy won't he with khabib for such a long time and now we can move on we can move forward and and, and the good thing about this fight and the result and the winner and it's something that we touched on last week simon is he never fought khabib so we don't have to worry about what would have happened or this and that well it's two different generations now two different eras in lightweight title lineage and now the world is definitely his oyster you know he could be fighting conor mcgregor later on this year he could be fighting dustin poirier later on this year the lightweight division right now is as hot as it's ever been and yeah congratulations to du bronx who and if i look at the at the lay of the land when it comes to the mma community online i don't see many people that weren't happy for him i think long-term fans who have seen him have his ups and downs and seen him deliver so many incredible performances and finishes, what is really chuffed and, and happy for the for the lad. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think we've spoken about it before in terms of other fighters as well in the UFC. The fact that he doesn't speak English 
is a bit of a barrier to fandom sometimes in this sport. You know, it's hard to get your personality across if you can't speak the lingo. And 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 the bulk of the uh, the UFC market right now is an English speaking market. So uh, the fact that he doesn't speak speak English, I think, has maybe held him back from being a more popular fighter than he is. Um, we can't argue with the performances in the Octagon. That's nine wins in a row for him. And a complete turnaround from earlier in his career when he was insistent on competing at 145 pounds, when he could barely make weight at 145 pounds, and he, he'd boil himself down and he'd look almost skeletal on the state on, on the on the scale. And you go back at and look at his record, Sandu. He's lost to Cub Swanson. He's lost to Frankie Edgar, who is now competing uh, at, at bantamweight. You know, um, he's lost to Max Holloway, and then he, you know, Ricardo Lamas. And eventually he moved up to, to lightweight. And I think fighting at a more natural weight for him, he seems to just be so much better, so much more comfortable. And we're seeing better performances. You only have to look at his record. You know, that's nine in a row. And uh, I think I think eight of them are inside the distance. I think only one of that, the only one that went the distance in that run was Tony Ferguson last December. Everybody else got finished. So... And, uh, yeah, really happy for him. You could see how much it meant to him. For someone to have been in the sport for as long as he, as he has, been in the UFC for as long as he has, um, to finally get the opportunity and to convert, you know, his first attempt is is, is marvellous. And uh, the good thing about it is he'll want to defend his belt. He's not going to just sit on the title and do and, and, and do nothing. He's going he's gonna to get in there and really try and cement his legacy at this point. And uh, I think he's the third Brazilian champion in the UFC or active right now. You've got Davidson Figueiredo, you've got Amanda Nunes, of course, and we've got um, Dubronx Charles Oliveira. So um, his future looks pretty set. He's going to have a huge fight, whoever he gets next. L likelihood is it'll be the winner of the main event at UFC 264, Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. That would seem to me like the natural, the natural first title defence. Um, McGregor already put out a tweet saying congrats to Charles Oliveira, the 11th UFC lightweight champion in history. I wonder who number 12 will be. And uh, the way he spelt out 12 in, uh, in, 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 uh, as a word rather than as digits, I think was a little nod to, uh, his, his, his whiskey brand or his former whiskey brand now, cause he's, uh, he's cashed in and earned an absolute boatload of cash off it. But, um, yeah, I kind of like that. And Oliveira basically said, you got to deal with Dustin Poirier first, mate. Beat him, and then I'll bring you down to Brazil and uh, put you on your ass. So uh, seeds have already been planted on that side of the on on that side of things. Uh, but Dustin Poirier is going to have something to say about that as well. So uh, yeah, we now have a path forward for the lightweight belt, and it's it's so good to know we've not got that uncertainty anymore. And uh, I'm looking forward to what might happen at 55. We could see the belt change hands a few times over the next few years, unless Oliveira just keeps playing forward and finishing people. I did want to ask you, Sandu, about the other side of the coin. Michael Chandler exploded into the UFC, got a, a win against Dan Hooker in his first fight, and has lost. Second UFC fight, defeated, and stopped decisively in the second round. What does he do next? Where does he go next? Because, yeah, he fought for the belt. Obviously, if, he, if he'd have won the belt, it would have been an incredible story. But it, now the narrative is Michael Chandler needs to establish himself 
at the top of the UFC lightweight division. He's got one good win, but now he's got a stoppage loss. So next fight is pivotal for him because if he loses the next one, all of a sudden his stock's going to start to plummet. So who should he fight next? And uh, when should he fight next? Because he got beat by TKO. Normally, if you lose by TKO, you could probably do a little bit of time off, but I would expect Michael Chandler would probably want to bounce back uh, end of the summer, maybe August, September time, and get back in there and have another go. But what do you reckon? Who, who should he face next? This is a great question, Simon. Um, well, first of all, before I make my suggestion in terms of who should fight next, I think what Michael Chandler has done in a very short amount of time that he's been with the UFC is make himself known. I, I think, obviously, UFC fans know him. He, I think he's done a great job leaning into a bit of that pro wrestling, using a bit of uh, Ric Flair, even when he, when he walked out. Um, not sure if you noticed, and maybe a lot of people didn't clock this, but he walked out to the current WWE Raw, Monday Night Raw theme song. Um, so when I heard that, I'm like, hey, what's going on here? Am I, am I on Monday shift for BT Sport or, or what's going on? So that, that was pretty cool. Um, and, and like you said, Simon, the way this fight played out with Charles Oliveira, it wasn't one-sided. It wasn't dominant. You know, he had his moment. He was probably maybe seconds away from winning the fight. You know, A few uh, bits and pieces that maybe would have gone in his favor. And we, we could be talking about him as a lightweight champion right now. The good thing about Michael Chandler being in the UFC right now at this minute and being a lightweight fighter is... There are plenty of big fights on the table. There are plenty of options on the table. We're going to talk about Tony Ferguson shortly. Tony Ferguson is in need of a fight and a big name. You're telling me that Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson wouldn't be so much fun on paper, right? Even just the back and forth. We saw seeds of it a little bit at the, the press conference last week, which Tony Ferguson completely owned. But if you're going to put a gun to my head in terms of what fight I think makes sense next for Michael Chandler... I think it's Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje's been on the sidelines for a while now. He needs to fight. He needs to compete. We already know that Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier are scheduled to fight on July 10th. And it's it's pretty much a lock that the winner of that fight is going to go on to fight Charles Oliveira later on this year for the lightweight championship. So the rest of the contenders in that top five, top six, top seven, they need to stay busy. They need to remain active. They need to compete. Benil Dariush, who had a big win this weekend over Tony Ferguson, he's already said that, hey, you know what? I probably won't compete again until the end of the year, maybe even early 2022. He's got, uh, you know, his missus is pregnant. Um, so that uh, birth is due um, imminently. Um, I personally think that was a bit of a misstep from Benil in terms of saying that he doesn't want to fight until early next year. Again, we'll get to that in a second. But Simon, I think the fight to make right now and if I'm Justin Gaethje, I'm calling for this fight. It's Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje because Justin Gaethje was an interim champion just a year ago. Michael Chandler just fought for the Undisputed Lightweight Championship this past weekend. It's a fresh matchup. It's two guys that have had similar paths to the UFC, made their names in other promotions. I think that would make all the sense in the world. Yeah, I think it's one of two, isn't it? I think Gaethje is the logical next one because Gaethje, I think, needs... Needs to bounce back. Michael Chandler needs to bounce back. The other option, depending on how long Michael Chandler wants to sit, is the loser of the Dustin Poirier-Conor McGregor fight. That's that's the other option we could be looking at. Um, particularly if uh, the man who loses that fight is Conor McGregor. Because if Conor McGregor loses that fight, 
that from a, a promotional standpoint trumps the other options easily. Um, you know, Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler, both of them know how to sell a fight. Uh, very different characters, but I, I kind of like the dynamic that could that, that could potentially happen between those two. Um, that would be a huge, huge fight, um, and uh, it would almost for me it would be shades of McGregor versus Chad Mendes back at UFC 189. Chad Mendes is a similar type of fighter, wrestling base, heavy-handed, likes to put pressure on people, um, uses his wrestling quite often to keep the fight standing and, and, and use his power. But if he wants to take the fight to the mat, he's got the wrestling advantage, he can do that. Michael Chandler is just a, a, a bigger version of Chad Mendes in that regard. Yeah, I think he's a much more well-rounded fighter than Chad Mendes. I think he's got much more, much more on the on the mat than Chad's got. So I think, I think that would be a great matchup as well. Um, but he also, when he did that surprise, surprise speech, when he, when, uh, when he beat Dan Hooker, he called out Dustin Poirier. He called out Conor McGregor, obviously he called out Khabib as well, but Khabib's gone. But the seed has been planted for him to face either of those two. The press conference last week has planted a seed for a fight with Tony Ferguson and if you're lining all the fights up on paper from a divisional standpoint, the Justin Gaethje fight makes the most sense. So I think you've got three solid options there. I think you've got Poirier if he loses, McGregor if he loses, or Justin Gaethje straight out the gate. I don't want the Tony Ferguson fight just because I'm I'm, I'm a bit concerned for Tony Ferguson, if I'm honest with you. Um, I don't know what or where he goes next. Uh, maybe Ferguson versus Dan Hooker might be an interesting one. Um, and if he loses that one, then I think his time as a as a as a legitimate top contender might be might be at an end. But um, it's going to be it's going to be. Uh, I don't think Michael Chandler is going to have a problem finding an opponent. That's for sure. And I suspect the next one will be one that if he wins, he's right back in the mix for a title shot again. So um, yeah, he lost. I don't think it's the enormous setback. That, that it potentially could be seen as by some, but you know, huge, huge fight. And he was doing well, as you say. So um, we'll see how that all gets booked as things go forward and keeping it on the lightweight division. And it, it kind of carries on the matchmaking conversation because Tony Ferguson was in that co-main event on Saturday, lost to Benil Dariush, uh, didn't get stopped, but got dominated for all three rounds. Ferguson, he, he just didn't look the same guy that we saw just tear through the division and get that 12-fight win streak. Now, having said that, Benil Dariush, I thought, fought superbly. I know Dana White in the press conference said that Dariush didn't make too many friends with his performance. I thought Benil Dariush fought absolutely the way he needed to fight on fight night. I thought he, he stood and struck when he needed to, but when, when, when it got a bit um, closer quarters, he took the fight to the mat and totally dominated Tony Ferguson and he probably would have tapped a, a, a lesser man than El Kukui. He was absolutely in utter disbelief that Tony didn't tap to the uh, to the heel hook in round two. But um, that was a huge performance for, for Benil Dariush, who gave the perfect call-out, not of Elon Musk, the perfect call-out after the fight, where he, he mentioned the name that no other lightweight wants, Islam Makachev. He said, Islam Makachev is a guy no one wants to fight. He's he's a, he's one of the top contenders. Daniel Cormier this week said he thinks he's the best 155-pound fighter in the UFC. Um, Makachev versus Dariush makes all lots all, all manner of sense right now because none of the top contenders are going to want Benil Dariush. So uh, Dariush versus Makachev, I think, is, is spot on. What do you reckon? 
Yeah, I'd love to see that fight. Divisionally, it makes sense. Makachev is looking for a step up in competition. But like I alluded to earlier on, Simon, as good as the performance Dariush gave, and, and you're absolutely bang on the money, I can't, no one can believe Tony Ferguson didn't tap. It just shows you how mentally strong and tough that man is. It's just insane. But Neil Dariush is in a co-main event, Simon, of a UFC pay-per-view against Tony Ferguson. And in your division, the lightweight championship is up for grabs in the main event. You are not telling the world that you want to fight for the title next. You are not calling out Conor McGregor or, or Dustin Poirier or the winner of that fight. You just beat Tony Ferguson, Simon. And instead, you say, all right, I'm going to take some time off. I'll see you maybe at the end of the year. Most likely it will be early 2022. That's a long ways away. People are going to forget about this performance and this fight and this night. There's going to be like 30-odd UFC events between now and, and next year. What are you in this fight game for, Simon? I mean, seriously, you've got to strike while the iron is hot. You need to build momentum. You've got a win streak. You're comfortably in the top 10. You just beat Tony Ferguson. You've got to like capitalize on that moment and use the platform that you have with the fans in attendance and say something, do something that people are going to remember. Announce yourself as yet another legitimate contender in the lightweight division and you're coming for that championship. That's where you make the most money. So I personally feel as though, even though the performance is fantastic, it's always great when you can have Tony Ferguson on your resume. I think everything else apart from that was a complete fail in, in my book. The, the, the Elon Musk thing, okay, cool. Bit of a viral moment there. You had Elon Musk responding. But that's the kind of stuff I would see from or I would expect from someone like uh, a Julian Marquez. Someone that's kind of making their way up the rankings, trying to yeah. make a bit of a name from, for themselves. Not someone who is fighting top 10 a top 10 opponent and and you know in theory could be just a couple of fights away maybe one or two fights away from fighting for a championship so performance is great post fight wasn't so great i can understand where dana white's coming from and i don't think that is a match fight's going to happen because the guy literally said he's not going to fight again until 2022 and there's so many you know opponents that are going to be ready to go for is a maybe sooner rather than later it's really hard, Simon, to matchmake for Benil Dariush because he's essentially put himself on the shelf until next year. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I, from a stylistic point of view and for the fact that no one wants to fight Makachev, I thought, yeah, that makes sense because I, I, I say that from the knowledge that he ain't getting one of those top guys, right? He just isn't um, because he hasn't done enough yet. If he'd have gone out there and absolutely wiped the floor with Tony Ferguson and totally, do you know, just beat him from pillar to post and submitted him or something. That wasn't a statement-making performance. It was a dominant victory. Um, but yeah, the fact that he says, and this is just the way that Benil Dariush is wired, and I, I won't criticise him for it because that's just that's just the way he is, but he's got other priorities outside of fighting that are more important to him than fighting. Um, and because of that, namely, he's got he's got a baby coming. Um, so he wants, to, he wants to deal with that. That's understandable. But yeah, you you are you are also bang on the money with respect that you got to strike while the eye is hot. This is this is your career, and you are at right now the highest point of your career. If you win the next time, that'll be the highest point of your career. But yeah, co-main event behind the title fight, 
you have the opportunity to, to insert yourself in a title conversation. But yeah, but he wasn't even thinking that, was he? He wasn't even thinking that because his priorities lie outside of the octagon. And I think, rightly or wrongly, because of that, and because he's he's uh, he's got a very laid-back personality, he's very respectful, and because you, you put all that in a package, it's... It's the sort. He's the sort of guy you'd sort of, um, you know, you, you you'd be quite happy if your daughter was dating a guy like that. But if you're in the prize fighting business, you'd rather have someone who's going to talk a little bit of smack, who's always going to pick up the phone, who's going to be ready to fight, you know, week to week to week to week. Um, and uh, that's not that's not Benil Dariush. And uh, so I'm not going to criticize him for it because that's that's just the way he is. And and. You know, it takes all it takes all sorts in this sport, and it's good to have a different a different blend of characters. You don't just want a load of Conor McGregor clones out there. But there was an opportunity to further his career there, and uh, rightly or wrongly, he didn't take it. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, like I understand, you know, you go go off and 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 start the family and get everything set. Surely, once that's done, you need to be getting straight back in. You need to be getting straight back in, and you want top five opposition. Um, where's he ranked at the moment in the lightweight division? He's ranked ninth, Nine. but it has but it hasn't been updated yet. I don't think because they haven't even put Oliveira in as champion yet. So, um, so I would imagine I would imagine he'll be top five right now because Ferguson's five. I would think he'll be maybe five, six, or seven, possibly. Um, and uh, at that point, you're looking at a huge fight. You know, you're looking at an absolutely huge fight. So, and that's what he should be going for because that's what his performances deserve. But the squeaky wheel gets the grease, as they say, and he ain't doing a lot of squeaking. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with Benil Dariush. You know, he's one of the good guys of the sport. It's nice to see the good guys getting opportunities and doing well, but you've also got to aid the process a little bit as well. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him moving forward. Uh, the bantamweight fight, Sandu, Going back to the uh, the two sixty two card, another fight that I got wrong. Did really well this week. Rogério Bonterin uh, beat Matt Schnell by uh, by unanimous decision. Fun fight. I thought that was a really fun fight. But um, let's talk about the women's flyweight fight briefly. Caitlin Chikagin versus Vivian Arujo. Um, Chikagin gets the job done again by decision again, which was the which was the the outcome that I think we we, we heavily predicted in last week's show. Kaylin Chikagian wins fights and she wins them by decision. Um, and there's very few people in the world who can stop her. And she's in this horrible position now. I think um, one of the one of the journalists at the post-fight press conference said that she was in no woman's land. <laughs> and because uh, she kind of is. Who does she fight? I mean, she can't legitimately call for a title shot, I don't think, you know, because where's the upside for anybody in that, in that deal? Um, other than Chikagian, you know, it, it's not going to do any business in the UFC. Uh, it's not going to interest Valentina Shevchenko. Um, so unless Shevchenko loses her belt, I don't understand how Caitlin Chikagian with, despite the fact she's got good form, I don't know whether the submission, uh, sorry, a decision wins are going to get it done in terms of getting her that shot of the belt. It's going to be a case of, can you keep winning these decisions until there is literally no other option available but to put you back in there again? Because 
it's so hard because she's such a good technical fighter. She just hasn't got that ability to finish at the very highest level. It's, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed for her, to be honest. Well, look, let's not be too disappointed, Simon, because it's never a bad thing when you win in the UFC. All right. Uh, so she's able to earn a living. She picks up the second half of her paycheck. She performed on a pay-per-view main card. So there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, worse places that she could potentially be. I've got one fight in mind for her, Simon, and I don't know how you feel about this, but we've just seen Jessica Andrade fight for the title, right? And Jessica Andrade has a win over Caitlin Chukagian, and she's one of only two women to have stopped Chukagian. If I'm Chukagian, I want to try and run that one back, right? Yep. Because you, you're obviously you want to, you know, equal the score, so to speak. You want to see if on a second attempt, you can defeat Andrade. Andrade just fought for the title. Andrade is number one in the rankings. Jukagian is number two in the rankings, right? So why don't you just put those two together? You've you got a bit of a story there. You do a rematch. Andrade ends up fighting someone that's on a bit of a run again and fight someone that she's already defeated. Jukagian gets a, ch a chance to fight someone that's ranked ahead of her right now, and she gets to run it back with someone that she lost to. Again, like you said, Jukagian is so durable. Her only two losses by finish have been to the current champion, Shevchenko, and to Andrade. And every time she wins, it's essentially a decision. She's just got decisions littered all throughout her resume. So, um, so yeah, it's a tough spot to be in, but there's probably worse spots she could uh, probably be in uh, if you look at the lay of the land. So I, I think the best thing for her to do is to stay busy, remain active, uh, push for top competition. And if I'm her, the fight I'm trying to like, get next is uh, a rematch with Jessica Andrade. That makes absolute 100% total sense. And it's a fight that I think fits everybody. It suits everybody to a T because it gives it gives it a chance to earn a title shot. It gives Jessica the opportunity to bounce back into title contention again by beating the next highest ranked contender uh, against someone who she's already beaten once before. So she'll feel pretty confident she can jump back in and repeat the trick, right? And for the UFC, it means that both of those fighters have got a decent matchup um, and they can put a narrative on it and they can put it on a main card somewhere, um, whether it be a pay-per-view main card or a fight night main card, that is a good fight for the division. Uh, and it establishes another, well, it basically establishes a championship rematch. I think if, I think if Caitlin Chikagian gets a decision win over Andrade, I think you can make a case for a title shot off that. Um, given the fact that Andrade had finished her previously. So, um, if Kenny Chikagi can get a finish against Andrade, then that's got to be a slam dunk title shot for that. So that makes complete sense. And uh, I think in terms of the division, which it's so hard when you've got a dominant champion who is just levels above everybody else. We're in like Demetrius Johnson territory with, with that division. So um, it is tricky. It is tricky. And for Chikagian to be consistently at the top for the length of time that she has been, that tells you just how good she is. Um, and she doesn't get she doesn't get the love for it uh, among MMA fans, I don't think, uh, just because she's a decision machine. So, um, yeah, that makes total sense. That's that's the fight to make. Um, and the fight that we we thought would be fight of the night, Sandu, was fight of the night. Edson Barboza versus Shane Burgos was an absolute banger. It went into the third round. And we got stoppage. Now, all of these things we we kind of hoped for leading in. Uh, we thought we'd get a stoppage. We thought it would be a, an absolute banger of a fight. 
the way the fight ended in it was it was a little bit worrying at the end. I was I was more than a little bit concerned for Shane Burgos. The way he the way he went down, it just didn't look it wasn't your normal stoppage from a visual standpoint. You know what I mean? Normally, you know, you've got you've got a situation where someone gets rocked, they go down, and then the fight gets finished or whatever. Burgos looked quite seriously in trouble. Um and you know, I, th- I think it was quite a bit of concern for a while. He's since come out and it seems to be okay, which is great. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be medically suspended for. Possibly he'll get 90 days because uh, it looked quite bad. Um, and it was technically rated as a KO so um, rather than a TKO. So I would expect a 90-day term uh, provisional from from uh, from the uh, – much as Texas State Athletic Commission, so who the hell knows, right? So um, <laughs> the judging, by the way, some of the judging, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, big, big win for Edson Barboza. He needed that. We both lent towards Shane Burgos for that fight because he was the hot hand. He was the guy with who seemingly had the better body of work in recent in recent months, recent years. Uh, Barboza had, had picked up a win against Makwaname Carney in October last year. Prior to that, had lost three in a row. And had lost five out of his previous six uh, prior to the win against Macwan. So, for him to now get a knockout win over a, a dangerous, dangerous guy like Burgos, that that puts him back in the mix again, and he can start looking above himself in the rankings again and seeing if he can find himself a decent matchup. Barboza at forty-five, I'll be honest, looks better than I thought he was going to. I didn't think he'd, I didn't think he'd he'd make it at forty-five, but he seems to have settled into the division. And he's doing he's doing the business again, and uh, that was a good win for him on Saturday night. And I'm pleased to I'm pleased that Shane Burgos seems to be okay. Yeah, certainly was Simon. I mean, you know, talking about Edson Barboza, first of all, he had a couple of split decisions, and you could argue they could have easily have gone his way. But he makes his featherweight debut, doesn't go off to the best of starts again. Split decision loss to Dan Ige, who's you know really improving by leaps and bounds and making his way up the division. But he gets a, his first win at, in the weight class against Maquin Amir Khani last October. And then, I mean, you've got to talk about, you know, he, he got a big favor to make your debut lose, to get a decision win over Maquin Amir Khani, who's not ranked, to then get a top 10 ranked opponent in Shane yeah. Burgos. I mean, thank your lucky stars. And then you open the pay-per-view main card. You put on a performance like that, the fight delivers, and you get the finish. And on top of that, he announces himself to the division. He said he's coming after all the featherweights. And I loved it. I love everything about this Edson Barboza performance. Kind of going back to what we talked about, uh, Benil Dariush, earlier on, in terms of you don't have to always smack talk like Conor McGregor. And that's not what I'm expecting or asking for, uh, for from these fighters. I'm just you know, imploring that they take advantage of the situation that they're in because we've been in this game for far too long and we know how opportunities are given to you you know you you put on performances you get finishes you get a fan base behind you 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 get that mic time when joe rogan is in the octagon asking your question make it count edson barboza made that moment count and you know for as long as he's been in the ufc simon Again, looking at his record, he's got plenty of losses on his record too. But all of a sudden, that featherweight, he seems like a reinvigorated new fighter, looks good, and it's no mean feat to to finish 
Shane Burgos, and I concur with everything you said. It was a wild finish. The way there was that delayed response from Shane Burgos, and obviously we've seen it on social media. He's fine. He doesn't feel as though he's been concussed or, or anything like that. It was just one of those weird finishes. And I think there were some highlights that I saw on, on social media of some similar examples of, of, of other fights from back in the day. But, man, what a great way to kick off that pay-per-view main card, Simon. It really delivered, lived up to the billing. And Edson Barboza is now, you would imagine, when the rankings are updated, going to be a top 10 featherweight. And you could have some fun matchmaking with him now moving forward as well. Yeah, he always brings excitement. And the, and the thing about Edson Barboza, he comes with an incredible highlight reel, right? If you're, if you're the UFC and you're looking to sell this event and it's like, okay, here's your main event, here's your co-main event. We've got a couple of title fights going on at the top of this card or whatever. Who else is on the card? Look at this dude. And then you just run the highlight reel of everything that Edson Barboza has done in his career. You know, the wheel kick of Terry Etim, the body kicks on Dan Hooker. You know, he's... he's and just a, a, an array of ridiculous uh, striking. And he brings that every single time. Okay, we don't always get the highlight reel Mortal Kombat style finish, but he's going for it every single time he gets in the cage. And that's what we love about him. And there have been times where he's, you know, he's lost out and he's he hasn't quite managed to get it done. But whenever he gets in occasion fights, he delivers the goods. He brings what you hope he's going to bring in terms of the way he fights. And uh, I think the fans love him for that. And yeah, that featherweight division is absolutely stacked with talent. But Edson Barboza, no one's going to put their hand up and say, yeah, I want to fight that guy. Because, you know, it's uh, he's an absolute nightmare to fight, you know, especially in this age of um, leg kicks in particular. And, and you know, it's 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 the new in thing, isn't it? It's... it's uh, you know, the ability to land calf kicks. Well, Edson Barboza lands them as well as anybody in that 145-pound division. And can you imagine, like, and it, in terms of rankings, they're a fair ways apart at the moment. Can you imagine Edson Barboza versus the Korean Zombie? Just, just as a fight. That would be insane. Edson Barboza versus Yair Rodriguez when he eventually comes back. That would be mad. You know, it, it, there's... There's all sorts of options. Edson Barboza versus Max Holloway would be a, would, would be a lot of fun. You know, you put Edson Barboza on, on one half of the fight, you know you're going to get a good fight. It doesn't matter who the other person is. But if the other person is equally equally crazy and throws, you know, ridiculous uh, volume in fights, like the Korean Zombie does, like Yair Rodriguez does, that's going to be an absolute barnstormer of a fight. He's so easy to matchmake for. Um, so... From the, U the UFC must have been really, really secretly quite pleased that Barboza won that fight. Um, Burgos is good. Burgos is excellent. But I think from a fan from a fan standpoint, Barboza's the big ticket. And, uh, you know, huge, huge win for him. And uh, what a great way, as you say, to kick off kick off that pay-per-view. Before we move on, there were, uh, we, we need to talk about the fight that, that prefaced the, uh, the pay-per-view, the final preliminary card fight. Andre Muniz versus uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Now, Muniz, he's known for being good at submissions, right? He's got good submissions, but he's going in there with Jacare Souza, who's something ridiculous, like an eight-time jiu-jitsu world champion, right? There's, there, there are black belts and there are black belts. And Jacare Souza is considered one of the very best jiu-jitsu exponents to ever set foot in the octagon. You've got Damian Meyer. You've got Hoist Gracie, obviously, back in the day. Jacare Souza. I think you would put in that elite bracket. 
Andre Muniz did not give a stuff, did he? Did not he had almost zero respect for Jacare's grappling skills because it's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish you. He took Jacare down. Jacare, I think at one point he, he almost had him uh in back mount. Jacare tried to shake him off. Bit of a scramble, arm bar, a loud snapping noise was heard. Uh, uh and then I think it was Dan Mergliotta, the ref, I think, um, who uh dived in, stopped the fight, first round knockout. Sorry, first round knockout. First round technical submission due to armbar uh, with like a minute left on the clock. Unbelievable. Muniz, Muniz is a dangerous man at 185 pounds. I thought he was he was good. I did not think that he would be able to do that to Jack Ray on the mat. That was that that for me was one of the most shocking results of the night. I'd love to know what the odds were for any opponent to, to submit Jacques Ray Souza in any of his fights let alone against Andre Muniz. I mean, of all the outcomes of, of this fight, that would have been the the one that I was, I was least expecting. And credit to Muniz, man. That is, that is you know how people want to have kind of, I guess, um, certain awards or moments of recognition outside of a championship belt? Listen, to say that you are the only man in MMA history to have submitted Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who everyone knows is one of the most decorated jiu-jitsu players to have made the transition from BJJ over to MMA is just incredible. And you got to feel for Jacare, obviously the arm snap and, and it was, was wild to have had two bone breakages in back-to-back pay-per-views. And it wasn't obviously as gruesome Nowhere near as gruesome or as shocking as Chris Weidman's, but everyone still heard the snap. It, you know, it's nice to see Jacques Ray in good spirits on, on social media. You know, I think he's had surgery and you know um, he's on his road to recovery and, and and all that good stuff. But Simon, that was his fourth loss in a row. He's forty-one years old. We know that the UFC have been letting go of, of a lot of big names, some of the, the elder statesmen of, of MMA, some of those guys that perhaps were, were on bigger contracts. I think that's the last time that we would have seen Jacare compete in the UFC. Um, I just don't know how the UFC are going to, A, allow him to you know, wait and recover. And just given his age um, and the fact that he's now on this four-fight losing skid, giving him another fight, what do you think? Sadly, I tend to think that might well be the case. Yeah, um, he's in a weight class where <clears throat> there's a new there's a new generation of fighter moving their way up at 185 pounds. I don't think him moving up to 205 is going to do him any any massive benefit because he's getting he's not just getting beat. He, you know, he, he got KO'd by Kevin Holland off his back. You know. Uh, getting in there with some of those those big big boys at two hundred and five pounds who can really bang, I don't think that's a good idea for him either, especially at his age because he's not he's not the he's not the fastest and most nimble on the feet at this point in his career. So it's hard to see where he goes from here uh, in the UFC. Could he go back and maybe have a have a little run uh, with Scott Coker and Bellator? Maybe, maybe uh, the middleweight division in Bellator isn't the strongest. Um, you know, another another former strike force champion. Um, going back to work with Scott Coker, who knows? You know, he might fancy that for a for a year or so. Um, 
but it, it's it's hard. It's hard because this is a sport that kind of eats its young. Uh, so, sorry, uh, the the young eat the old eventually. You know, um, and uh, that's kind of what we're seeing. And uh, Andre Muniz, I mean, fourteen career wins by submission, fourteen out of twenty six. So if you just looked at his record on paper, you'd be like, yeah, of course he's going to go for a, you know, for a submission. It wasn't the fact that he was going for his, his, his number one skill. It's that he was doing it against one of the very, very best exponents of the art in the sport. And uh, eight-time world champion, two-time ADCC champion. Um, he is as legit as they get. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Incredible. Eight, sorry, 14 subs from 21 wins. My mistake. 14 subs from 21 wins. Uh, so that's even more impressive. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's hard to see where, where Jack Ray Souza goes from here. And uh, if it is the last time we've seen him in the UFC, then, uh, you know, we wish him we wish him all the best in whatever he does next. Uh, another one of those guys who always seems to have a smile on his face, win or lose very sort of jovial character. No one's got anything bad to say about the man. So, um, uh, you know, super respectful. And one of the, one of the top, top middleweight fighters in the world over the last 10, 12 years. So, uh, all the best to him. If that is the end for, uh, for Jack array. But, um, the other thing to mention about this card, Sandu, um, the bonuses, Edson Barboza, Shane Burgos got a fight of the night. Charles Oliveira, of course, and uh, Christos uh, Giorgos in the first fight of the night, uh, picking up the performance of the night bonuses. 75 grand bonuses, these ones, Sandu, because Tony Ferguson asked Dana White during the press conference um, before the fights, they say everything's bigger in Texas. Let's, let's make the bonuses bigger. And they asked Dana about this in the post-fight press conference. And uh, he, he rehashed Ferguson's brilliant line from the pre-fight press conference. So why is it you did that? And Dana just grinned and went, Dana White privilege, which I thought was <laughs> thought it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, Edson Barboza, Shane Burgos, Oliveira, and uh, Giorgos all taking home 75 grand bonus. Um, so uh, not too bad at all. But decent event, Sando. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, good event, Simon. Love the fact that Tony was able to wangle a bit more money for the fighters. Uh, that got the performance, the right bonuses, almost like a parting gift because, you know, it's, it's for Tony Ferguson, you know, and we've already kind of spoken and touched on this a little bit, but overall, Simon, I felt like outside of the result, this was almost like a, a coronation or a homecoming for Tony Ferguson. He absolutely killed it at the press conference. The Did ovation, it, yeah. the ovation and the atmosphere when he walked out to that crowd in Houston was absolutely electric and he's on this three fight losing skid now simon i hope he sticks around i hope the ufc do some favorable matchmaking you know build him back up again he's in his late 30s it would be absolutely shocking and i think it would be a travesty if tony ferguson ends his career we already know that in his generation, the generation of fighters that he has come up with and competed with, we know that the Khabib fight never happened. It would be heartbreaking if he never got an opportunity to fight Conor McGregor. It would be heartbreaking if he never got a, an opportunity to fight Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler. So the names that are in that division, you want to see them compete against Tony Ferguson. Just stylistically, you know there'd be fun fights. 
You know they'd market and promote the hell out of those fights. T you know, Tony Ferguson checks off every single box. Um, so, yeah, so outside of his result, the unfortunate situation to Ronaldo Jacare Souza with his arm break, putting those aside, Simon, I thought it was a fantastic event. And I think the biggest takeaway is the fact that the lightweight division can officially now move forward and we can start to get excited about the results of other fights, most notably Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier trilogy July 10th, where we are all, I think, 99% certain the winner will go and fight Charles Oliveira later on this year. Yeah. After all that uncertainty over Khabib's retirement and what happens with the belt and all the rest of it, um, it's just good to know that we can move on from that. The Khabib era was great. Uh, he will go down as a UFC Hall of Famer, I'm sure. Now it's time to kick things kick things up a gear with the lightweight division. And as I said earlier, it's so competitive in that 55 pound, at 155 pound division, the belt could change hands almost with every title defense. It's so, there's so many different fighting styles, so many different people involved that uh, it could be a bit of a uh, a bit of a hot potato that championship belt. So uh, looking forward to seeing how that how that progresses over the course of the year. We've got big fights coming down the coming down the line. Obviously, we just mentioned Dustin Poirier and uh, and Conor McGregor, but even bigger than that, it has to be said, is a fight that got announced just a day or so ago on August the 14th, which we think is probably going to be the same day as UFC London. Um, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, for all the marbles in boxing's heavyweight division, all the belts, all the belts are on the line. It's going to be in Saudi Arabia. We don't know what time it's going to be yet. I suspect it will be uh, aligned for US pay-per-view time to maximize those uh, those pay-per-view dollars. But uh, they've made the fights first of a two-fight deal, and there was a lot of back and forth over when this fight was going to happen, where this fight is going to happen. And even though they'd signed to fight, they hadn't agreed the actual location and the date. That has now been done. We're getting the fight, Sandu, and I'm absolutely buzzing. This is going to be huge. Yeah, it's, I was just thinking about this the other day, Simon. Isn't it fascinating, the world of MMA, and in particular the UFC versus the world of boxing, where when it's the real big fights that obviously Joshua Fury is, or Fury Joshua, depending on how you want to... Uh, I wonder how they, what, what hashtag they're going to use. Anyway. Um, it's I think it's Joshua Fury. I think because he's got... I think he's got more belts, so he kind of has seniority, I think. I think that's how it works. Makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world. Joshua Fury it is then. But isn't it, isn't it fascinating how location, the purse, the rounds, the, the ring size, the glove size, you know, the, the rematch clauses, all of these details that are disputed and negotiated, when it's the real big fights, the fans and the media, we're kind of hanging on to every single word and hanging on to every single bit of information we can get out of the situation and, and every single announcement and even right now simon this is bizarre contracts aren't even officially signed but we've pretty much got everything else in place so that's what it's been reported right so we know like you said august 14th in the kingdom of saudi arabia and we know that reportedly from espn boy these lads simon are going to make an absolute mint. $75 million 
each. And we know there's a rematch clause baked into it. So over the course of the next year or so, these lads are going to make a, 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 cr- a truckload of money and, you know, well-deserved. We always want to see anyone in the fight game, you know, make as much money as possible, right? But for for the British contingent, especially to have an undisputed heavyweight champion that's a Brit in the world of boxing would be absolutely phenomenal. The last time that happened was, was of course, Lennox Lewis. And uh, it's been a, a hot minute since the, those belts have been unified. So, and listen, outside of, you know, we are on the MMA beat like 99% of the time. But every now and then, there's something outside of MMA which is going to capture our imagination. It's going to capture the imagination, not just of combat sports fans, but sports fans in general. It is going to be one of the blockbuster events of the summer. And I can't wait. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. The build-up's going to be great. Uh, two very different characters, but stylistically, it's just a great matchup. Let me hit you with some some stats. I've got an email today. I get so many PR emails, especially since I started this new job. I get battered with largely crap PR emails that are just, they, you know, they go straight in the trash as soon as they arrive, pretty much. This one piqued my attention. This is interesting. At least I think it is. There's a company uh, that have actually done a bit of research. Bonus.ca is the website, and they have decided they're going to delve into boxing's biggest fights and find out how much fighters earn per punch, per punch landed. Let me give you some numbers. This will this will this will take you. This will this is ridiculous. Tyson Fury when he when he took on Deontay Wilder in their first fight, he earned two million pounds for that fight. That was a draw. He landed 84 punches. That meant he earned £25,000 per punch. Not bad, right? He then did the rematch with Deontay Wilder, earned £3.5 for that fight, landed 82 punches, £43,000 per punch. That was uh, not as much as he got for the Klitschko fight. He earned £5 for that. 58,000 per punch. So you can see where we're going with this, right? This is this is this is big numbers, right? Now, let's look at Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua is doing telephone number earnings. It is insane. When he beat Vladimir Klitschko in 2017, he earned 15.4 million quid for that fight. Landed 107 punches, which equates to a per punch earning £144,000 per punch. He got 113000 from his uh, win over Joseph Parker. But all of that is chicken feed, Sandu. When he fought Andy Ruiz Jr. in his rematch to win the belts back in December 2019, sit back in your chair. He earned £46.2 quid for that fight. Right? That's, right? For, right? That's That's just that. And he landed 107 punches, same as he uh, uh, same as he landed against uh, Klitschko. Actually, uh, 107 punches. That meant for every single punch he landed against Andy Ruiz Jr., he earned the princely sum of 431,776 quid per punch. That's per insane. Punch. That's right? insane. He's not even the highest earner, though, Sandu. Like he's not. He's he's not. Where is he? That's that just gets him in the top five. 
That just gets him in the top five. Conor McGregor, when he fought Floyd Mayweather, earned 589 grand per punch. Mayweather, in the same fight, earned 1.2 million per punch. Mayweather against Pacquiao, that massive, massive fight that turned out to absolutely stink the place out in May 2015. Floyd Mayweather earned $250,000. Sorry, what am I talking about? $250 million for that fight. 192,500 quid. 1.3 million per punch landed. Pacquiao lost that fight. Uh, threw fewer punches in that fight. Earned a little bit less, but actually ended up earning 1.4 million pounds for every single one of the 81 punches he landed uh, in that losing effort against Floyd Mayweather. That is insanity, Sandu. Mad that man. is insanity. Like 1.45 million, most UFC fighters, unless you're one of the very top A-listers, can go their entire career without earning 1.4 million. Manny Pacquiao earned that every time he touched Floyd Mayweather in that fight. That's that's what we're looking at. Absolute mental. I just I saw the email. Normally you look at some of these things and say, Oh, this is that about crap. I'm not I'm just been in there. I just looked at that and went, that's nuts. But it actually it, it, it works out. You know, you look at it and go, My God. This is crazy. But yeah, so basically what it means is every time <laughs> every time these guys get in the ring for these massive fights, they're, they're getting an insane amount of money. Break it down on a per punch level and it just blows your mind. It blows your mind. Like uh, Joshua and Fury, how, how much are they getting per fight uh, 70, for this fight? $75 million each. $75 million each. They're heavyweights, so they're not going to be throwing with the same frequency as Mayweather and Pacquiao did. So they could be earning a similar sort of amount of money. Maybe not quite that much, but they're going to be earning well over half a million quid per punch if that fight goes any kind of distance. Uh, if it's a short fight, they'll be earning more. Uh, I'll, 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 you know, it stands to reason. So insanity, insanity. They're getting rich, Sandu. You know, one of them is going to get beat up. Possibly two of them are going to get beat up, but my goodness me, they're never going to need to do a thing again for the rest of their lives after this fight. It's going to be absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. I just thought I'd drop that in there. Good work, if you can get it. And speaking of Tyson Fury, he, he's been doing the rounds this last week. There was a, a fun bit of social content between him and Nick Diaz. Uh, I don't know if they were sparring or putting in some work together. I thought that was a bit of fun. In fact, Tyson Fury, um, after spending some time with Nick Diaz, was also in attendance at WrestleMania Backlash on Sunday. He was in attendance there. He's, he's, he's always trying to get things going outside of the world of boxing, which I think is smart for Tyson Fury. Because obviously the, the stuff with Nick Diaz this last week, that went viral. People jumped on that, not just because they're curious about Tyson Fury, but obviously Nick Diaz is on this kind of comeback trail. He's looking in great shape. And then he's still trying to get things going with Drew McIntyre, you know, uh, who's one of the biggest stars in the world of the WWE and you know, I, I think before it's all said and done, Tyson Fury is going to work with the WWE in a capacity of a WrestleMania. They've got a long history from Muhammad Ali, Tyson, Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather uh, of working with boxers. So I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later as well. Tyson Fury, man, he does an incredible job keeping himself in the limelight, keeping himself in the news. Um, and, and now he's obviously got uh, an absolute blockbuster of a fight to promote, so I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I mean... 
if he ends up losing that title fight, oh, I mean, obviously they've got a rematch already lined up. Um, but once those two fights are out of the way, Tyson Fury could like effortlessly transition into pro wrestling and do and, and do some bits there and and make a truckload of cash with a few carefully chosen appearances. Uh, WrestleMania is an absolute given. Uh, he could do that in between fights. That's no big deal. So uh, yeah, we're gonna. I don't think we've seen the last of him for for quite some time. That kind of fills up our, our middle portion of the show. That, b- before we wrap up, let's quickly look at this weekend, Sandu. They're back at the Apex uh, for UFC Fight Night. No fans. So a lot of these fight nights at the moment, they're still behind closed doors at the Apex. And a uh, couple of interesting fights on this card. Main event, Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt is the main event at Bantamweight. Winner of that is probably going to be in a title eliminator next, I would imagine. And the other fight that leaps off the page, and if this card placement on my Wikipedia page is borne out in terms of fight night and in terms of where it is, the main card opener is a fight that, for me, should be the co-main event. Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazian at 185 pounds is a huge, huge fight for both men in the middleweight division. Both guys looking to re-establish their credentials as legit contenders. And... uh, Hermanson, very, very dangerous on the ground. Sebastian, very, very dangerous on the feet. Um, that'll be an interesting clash of styles. But um, that bantamweight fight first off, Sandy, what do you make of it? I mean, Cody Cody Garbrandt, uh, he, he sort of flirted with the possibility of flyweight for a while, but I think he's in his right weight class at 35, right? I agree. I think bantamweight is where he should stay at. Uh, I don't know what he'd look like if he went down a, a further 10 pounds. He would not be looking healthy, that's for sure. And to be honest with you, Simon, I'm surprised it's taken this long for him to fight again because he made an incredible comeback last summer with that one of the highlight knockouts of the year when he knocked out Rafael Unsuncel. It's kind of like one of those yeah. weird kind of corkscrew left hand, left hook, and just spectacular, devastating KO. And then we haven't heard from him since. And, and he's been a bit unfortunate with injuries and, and what have you, but... You know, this fight with, with Rob Font is fantastic. New England cartels, Rob Font. And he's 33 years old, Simon. He's on this incredible win streak. He's finally put it together in the UFC. And now he's got an, an, an opportunity here to fight a former champion, one of the, the, the bigger names in the weight class, in a main event of a fight night card. I mean, what more could Rob Font be asking for here? He beats Cody Garbrandt. And you know what? I think he'd be in title contention at absolute worst, maybe just one win away from title contention. I mean, he would really be up there at the top end of that division then. Um, so, yeah, big stakes this weekend between Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt. And I, I think if I'm going to pick one of the two, I, I think I'm going to slightly lean towards Rob Font here, Simon. And, and the reason I say that is he's the man in form. Yes, Cody Garbrandt came back with a phenomenal result last summer, but it's been almost a year since he performed. And prior to that, he'd lost three in a row. So I still have a lot of questions with regards to where Cody Garbrandt is at. Yes, we know he's got dynamite in his hands. If he touches you with either his left or right hand, the chances are you're going good night. You're going to sleep. But I feel like Rob Font, he's shown me that he's so well-rounded. He's so well-versed. He's, he's really put it all together. And those lads from New England Cartel are doing a phenomenal job at the moment in the UFC collectively. So I'm picking Rob Font to to, to win here this weekend, Simon. What about you? 
Yeah, the New England Cartel, that's the coolest name for any team in MMA, right? It's, you know, you'd wear a New England Cartel t-shirt, wouldn't you? You know, it's it's one of those. And uh, Tyson Chartier, the head coach, doing a great job. Calvin Calvin Cater and Rob Font uh, doing, doing some serious business in the UFC right now. And uh, yeah, you look at that fight, like it could be one of the prettiest bantamweight fights we could see because both of these guys love to stand and strike. They're both technicians on the feet. It could be a like a striking fan's dream watching this. And what you say about uh, Cody Garbrandt and his punch power is absolutely bang on. But take a look at Rob Font's record. He's never been knocked out. He's never been knocked out. He's been in the cage for three rounds with John Lineker. He's one of the hardest hitting uh, fighters at that weight anywhere on the planet. And Lineker couldn't get rid of him. Okay, he won the decision, but he couldn't get rid of Rob Font. He's been in there with... Pedro Munoz, who can bang, he couldn't put him away. Thomas Almeida is a knockout artist. He couldn't put him away. Marlon Moraes is a knockout artist. He got knocked out. So Rob Font is legit, and he's on a nice run of form. He's beat Sergio Pettis, who is now, of course, uh, a champion in Bellator. Uh, he beat Ricky Simone, who I think is, is one of the one of the more fun up-and-coming fighters in the division. And uh, he's beaten Marlon Moraes, who's been a contender pretty much since since the moment he arrived in the UFC, former World Series of Fighting Champion. So he's got that great run of form. And I I, I think I'm I think I'm with you, Sandu. I think I'm gonna lean a bit towards Rob Font. Cody Garbrandt's got the name recognition, former champion. Um and I think if Cody Garbrandt can produce a sort of performance that he turned in to beat Dominic Cruz and win that Bantamweight belt where he just he looked on another planet. He was he just looked like he was on a completely different plane. Uh, and he looked absolutely superb uh, in, in, in that fight. And uh, if he can do that against Rob Font, then I think he'll win. But we haven't seen that, that Cody Garbrandt since that fight. You know, we've seen him, we've seen him lose three on the spin, stopped three times, came back, was in a firefight with Rafael Sunsau, knocked him out with a huge punch. But we haven't seen that um, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee version of Cody Garbrandt. And uh, I think we need that back. If he doesn't, if that version doesn't show up, Rob Font makes it four in a row on Saturday night. And that'll be the biggest win in his career. And hopefully if he does get that win, uh, he'll start to get a bit more, a bit more uh, support and, uh, you know, respect from, uh, from, from, from the MMA fan base, because uh, those guys from new England are doing the business and uh, you know, they might not be the biggest household names in the sport, but they are, they are, seriously seriously good at what they're doing and uh they're both making some serious progress in their respective weight classes so that is going to be an absolute banger of a fight and uh just wanted to touch on the jack hermanson edmund shabazian fight which side of the coins you fall on that one sandy i, I just saw that fight and was like wow I, I completely forgot that that fight had been booked that one's flown under the radar for me and if that's the main card opener then that's it that's you know, it's a great fight to open the main card with. And uh, one of those guys is going to be back in the mix and the other one's going to have a, a long way to uh, to climb to get back into contention. So which way are you lean in? This is a tough one, Simon, because Shabazian's coming off the very first loss of his career. Prior to that, I mean, he was knocking guys out left, right and centre. And he was undefeated, had to hit this incredible run, runs into Derek Brunson, doesn't go his way. Jack Hermanson... You know, he you feel like he's building some momentum and then he's kind of alternating wins and losses. I'm going to say 
Oh, this is so tough, Simon. This is so tough. You know what? I'm going to try and be a little bit of a homer with regards to European fighters. And I feel like maybe Edmund Shabazian, who's 23, maybe still figuring it all out. And you've got someone like Jack Comanson, who is full-grown man. You know what I mean? 32 years of age, you know, really filled out in his body. Um, a little bit more life experience, a little bit more pro MMA experience. I'm going to lean towards Jack Hermanson, the Joker, on this one, Simon. Yeah, I I am as well from a stylistic point of view. I think if the fight stays standing, I think Edmund Shabazian has got the skill set to to uh, to get the job done. But the way Jack Hermanson fights when he's on his game, he just he's like a berserker. He just comes straight after you, and if if you let him put his hands on you then you're on a one-way ticket to the canvas, right? He's just going to grab you and you're going to be driven down into the mat. And once he's got your shoulders down on the mat, then, uh, you know, he'll be he'll be all over you. So that's how I see this fight going. That's how I see this fight going. Shabazian's going to want to keep this fight at range. Um, and normally you would use your kicks a lot for this. But I think for someone like uh, Hermanson, who is just going to walk straight through him and look to take him down, Subazian are probably going to be better served either operating with low leg kicks or just looking to looking to strike with his hands so that he, he's got the ability to sort of backpedal and move move out of the way because he's going to need to have his running shoes on, I think, on Saturday night because I think Jack Hermanson is just going to chase him all around a cage. So that's going to be an interesting one. We've got an interesting fight at women's strawweight. Yan Nam versus Carla Esparza, winner of that. He's going to move one step closer to the title. Ben Rothwell's back on the card. Court McGee is still still doing bits in the UFC. He's on the card as well. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun fight night. It's not packed with the big names this one, um, but there's going to be there's going to be some good stuff on that card. David Dvorak versus uh, Raulian Piva at flyweight should be a lot of fun. That that might be a sleeper for fight of the night. So uh, keep an eye out for that one. That's this weekend. Uh, Saturday night from the UFC Apex. Um, and we've got a run of a couple of fight nights before before we start building up to 263 and the return of Israel Adesanya. But uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all we've got, Sandy, for this week. That's right. And for those of you that want to support the show, follow us on social media. The best place to go to is thebritpackmma.com. That's thebritpackmma.com. From there, you can find us on Spotify, Apple. You can follow the show on social media. You can follow myself and Simon on social media. And a quick note, for those of you that do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you can do us a solid favor, rate and review us. Every time we get a new rating or a new review, it helps bump the show up on that particular platform, and it helps the show get found by new listeners. So if for those of you that listen to us on Apple Podcasts, the minute the show ends, literally take 30 seconds out of your day, Hit us with a rate, hit us with a review. It would go an absolutely long way, and we would appreciate that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to everybody who has already done that. Uh, and thank you to everybody, whether you're subscribing to our Substack, whether you've subscribed to the YouTube channel, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, however you subscribe to us, if you already do, thank you so much. It means a lot that uh, you've decided to uh, take us into your world once a week. Uh, to chat MMA and uh, hope you enjoy what we're putting out there video is coming soon we promise it is uh, work is being done behind the scenes a bit of production work is being done behind the scenes a bit of infrastructure work being done behind the scenes but we are 
we are going to be going to video very very soon so uh yeah looking forward to that looking forward to the fights this weekend as well enjoy them as i'm sure we will and we'll be back to talk through it all next week